Hello and welcome. Pour yourself a bowl of cereal, grab a spot on the couch, and join us in our Saturday morning pajamas. I'm your host, Jax, and welcome to our Is It Spring Yet? 2022 special. I'm joined today by Amanda, previously known as Do of the FinalGirl.net. Hello, friends. So, Do, how have you been? Um, Just about as shitty as everybody else. How about you? Oh, I'm just loving this plague. It's all fun, just like the movies show us. Oh, yeah. Totally. But at least we have the warm, warm weather. Oh, right. Fuck. Winter. Uh-huh. Yeah. As I wait for, you know, snowpocalypse to happen. Yeah. We, 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 we don't have snow directly where I live. It, it, we got flurries once and people freak the f- fuck out. But, you know, I'm just waiting for the monsoon season. So that's my fun time. Lucky you. Oh, yes. All right. So now, before we get into the episode today, I would like to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. It is your support that makes this possible, and without you, we would just be two ladies seeing an empty data showing of the 2006 remake of The Omen, making really horrible jokes about the actors in bear costumes, and how that is totally related to this one boy band music video. If you know, you know. <laughs> yep. But much like back then, both Amanda and I have braved our own little plague-ridden hellscapes to check out the latest installment in the Scream franchise. Well, uh, for those who don't know anything about Scream, because I don't know, they're one of those bunker people from um, Amy Schmidt's show on Netflix. Why don't you tell us some more? Okay, so the first Scream film came out in 1996. It was written by Kevin Williamson, who would go on to be known for the uh, teen-oriented WB, later CW drama series, Dawson's Creek, where everyone was 25 playing 15 and talking like they swallowed a thesaurus. Um, So this seemed kind of out of the box when you compare the two, but he does go further into more horror films later on. Um, The original stars, of course, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette, who will become our primary characters, alongside Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, Jamie Kennedy, uh, Lev Schreiber, um, Wes, uh, Wes Craven had a cameo, Henry Winkler, and of course, um, Drew Barrymore as the opening kill. Um, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, love letter to slasher films. Uh, the characters are fully aware of horror horror as a genre, which is not something that's done so often. I mean, you get do get those throwaway lines in horror movies on occasion, like, ooh, it's like we're in a scary movie, but they really played into it hard on this, which, you know, you'll see as you go on. Um, they, they point out the rules and the flaws in uh, slasher films and then still go on to repeat those flaws. Like uh, one line, uh, Sydney, uh, Nev Campbell's character, Sydney, will say um, in one scene, oh, always running up the stairs when they should be running out the door. And then, you know, five minutes later, she's being attacked. And what does she do? She runs up the stairs. So they're like poking gentle fun as a genre while still playing into it. It was a very clever film with a twist ending, made a huge splash. So of course it spawned three sequels. Um, The second one was an immediate follow-up. It came out in, I believe 97, uh, follows the original uh, rules from the first film. And then we see the return of Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Jamie Kennedy as Randy. Um, They do make the point out, you know, sequels, anything can go. so Randy doesn't survive this film, even though he was our character who gave us what Scream becomes famous for, which is the rules to survive a scary movie. He went through it in the first one, then he went through it in the second one, rules to survive a sequel. 
Um, adding to the cast this time is Laurie Metcalf, Jerry O'Connell, Timothy Oliphant, Jada Pinkett Smith, Omar Epps, Joshua Jackson, who coincidentally was playing on Dawson's Creek at the time, and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, which is very strange to see her in a um, uh, sort of a, a victim role, but she had previously done the same thing, and I know what you did last summer, which Williamson was also involved in. This also brings in the film in a film within the series, which is titled Stab, um, and stars Tori Spelling as the Sydney character, which is a callback to the first film where Sydney makes an offhand remark that with her luck, she'd be played by Tori Spelling in a film of her movie. So a uh, little bit of a joke, and Tori Spelling was awesome and still came in and played the part, even though they were kind of poking fun at her. Now, the killers in the first film were Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard playing Billy Loomis and do oh lord i always miss his last name mocker um and they were uh like best buds who and that was kind of the the big twist of the film because one they make you think that billy is killed so it's a whodunit throughout it but you completely take him off your radar because you think he's dead then they have two killers instead of one and that sets up the next few films which typically have two people working together as the ghost face killer. Um, that is another thing as well, the ghost face killer. Um, unlike many slasher films, it's not a supernatural entity. It's just a regular everyday person uh, wearing this mask, which at the time uh, was just this uh, scary Halloween mask that was in every drugstore, you know, around Halloween across the country. And they just grabbed this one to use for the film. Now it's sort of synonymous with the films, but at the time it was just, you know, you know generic, on the shelf at Halloween time kind of thing. So in the second film, um, we play into the storyline of the first one sort of unknowingly. What comes out in the first film and sets up, uh, basically the, the sets the dominoes falling for the next films is that uh, Sydney Prescott's mother, who was murdered off screen in the first film, it starts as she's already dead, was having an affair with her boyfriend's father and caused his parents to split up and his mother to leave. And that was Billy Loomis. So Billy sort of masterminds this whole plot based on that, even though Stu believes they're trying to make an, a statement about uh, you know, film violence affecting teenagers. So as we go on to the second one, uh, we see two killers again, uh, Timothy Alphon as Sydney's boyfriend's friend who was a budding serial killer who went and looked up another serial killer online, who turns out to be Laurie Metcalf, who'd been playing the role of a reporter on the college campus where Sydney and Randy are and the murders begin happening again. She never meets Sydney until, you know, the penultimate scene. And at that time, Sydney recognized her as Billy Loomis's mother. So again, this goes back to him. So Sydney killed Billy, so his mother, hooks up with Timothy Oliphant's character and they're gonna you know, raise some hell and she's gonna get her revenge. Um, one thing to note about the second film is that there is a sorority party scene. And in the sorority party scene, if you look closely enough, you will see a cameo by Matthew Lillard who was supposed to have died in the first film. Um, he'd been stabbed a few times. He gets television dropped on his head, although it's never stated unequivocally that he's dead. So he pops up as a background character and a an ending to the film that was actually cut was to, was supposed to have a third ghost face watching as you know the cops roll in and the bodies of of course 
Lori Metcalf and Timothy Oliphant's characters, they don't survive because the killers never do. As they're being, you know, wheeled out and their police swarming, we would see this third ghost face looking down on it, given the idea that either one, they were working with someone else as well, or two, someone else is just watching or orchestrating behind, behind the scenes. The point of this was they were bringing Stu back. He was going to be the killer in the third film. That didn't happen. The problem was even already on the set of screen two, there was constant leaking of the script causing rewrites, sometimes on the day of filming with Craven, you know, Wes Craven, the director, doing his thing completely on the fly, you know, new pages, fresh pages handed out as they're filming because there was such the, this frenzy to find out what the new film was going to be because it made such a big splash and they expected this uh, another twist ending. So in spite of printing scripts on specialty paper that was not supposed to be able to copy or, um, <clears throat> excuse me, scan, and also having everyone involved in the film uh, down to, you know, from the stars, the director, to costuming, to catering, to everyone sign non-disclosure agreements, it still got out. So they were constantly rewriting it. So by the time Scream 3 comes around in 2000, um, again, with a whole slew of new characters added, but we still have, you know, our trio now, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox, the original idea for this film was completely scrapped. Um, <clears throat> not only that, um, but Kevin Williamson did not write the script. This time he wrote an outline and they brought in another writer to sort of flush it out. The problem is this came about after the horrific tragedy at Columbine. And as what happens every time um, something horrible like that happens in real life, we get this intense scrutiny on media violence. So they did not want to bring it back to, you know, at the time, at the time of the first film, a high school student, but a young person um, being the perpetrator again, because they were concerned about, uh, uh, production company was concerned about how that would look in the news media. So the studio wanted them to punch up the humor instead, which they did with this new writer, um, to the point that there's a cameo by Jay and Silent Bob in the film, which is just completely um, off kilter for the series. So in this film, we bring in Patrick Dempsey, um, Scott Foley, Lance Henriksen, who is just, you know, a horror mainstay, Matt Kieslar, Jenny McCarthy, Emily Mortimer, Parker Posey, Patrick Warburton, and of course, Love Shriver is Cotton Weary, who in the first film, uh, Sydney had assumed was the killer of her mother, but we find out, of course, that was her boyfriend, Billy. I mean, it all connects together. Cotton ends up becoming our opening kill. Now, the thing is, in the previous films, we had whoever the ghost face killer was using a um, focal distorter because <clears throat> the hallmark of the series is are these threatening phone calls, teasing and playing with the victims, you know, the do you like scary movies? In this case, we see um, first Cotton Weary is killed and then his partner comes in, his wife, and she hears the killer speaking, but in Cotton's voice. So that's a change. It's not just the, the, you know, the creepy, do you like scary movie voice that was, I believe, done by Roger Jackson. Now we're showing that the killer in this one is assimilating voices, which plays into the story as well, because we have Sydney, who is now um, uh, a, uh, like a trauma counselor online, living in seclusion, getting phone calls from what sounds like the voice of her mother. 
And again, we hark back, to, harken back to the first film, where now we bring in a character who is a half brother of Sydney, from her mother's attempts to be an actress, where she was assaulted and had this baby and gave it up, and he is just extremely jealous of whatever brief life that Sydney had with her mother and reveals that prior to the events of the first screen film, he tried to meet his mother who just completely did not want anything to do with them. So then they give the idea that he is the one who informed Billy Loomis that the reason his mother was, his mother left was that Sydney's mother was having an affair with his father. So they do always circle it back to Billy and in the original. They also pulled this away from the small town setting. Um, the original two, the first film was in Woodsboro. The second film was brought into a small college town. But again, they didn't want that small town uh, young people violence because of what had happened in real life. This film is probably the weakest of all of them. It just, it seems a little out of place. It's a little trite. Um, the humor is there, but it's at the cost of the scares and the thrills. And it's just not that great. So then we get to Scream 4. So Scream 4 is a little bit of a return to what we're, we're looking at in terms of, you know, the scares. Um, this time we have Sydney on a book tour. And again, murder startup, but this time it brings her back to Woodsboro. Um, we have the stars, uh, of course, of our main three, along with Hayden Panettiere, Anthony Anderson, Adam Rory, Adam Brody, excuse me, Rory Culkin, Allison Brie, Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell, Emma Roberts, and another uncredited Matthew Willard cameo. Now, the first screen film kind of flirted with the idea of Sydney as a suspect. She overhears two girls in her high school bathroom saying, oh, maybe it's her because she's just so twisted from what happened to her. It's kind of, you know, just mean girl talking, not really serious. However, in the fourth film, it, it goes uh, further and pushes this idea where she's fully a suspect by this time. Um, <clears throat> then we also have the rules that come in, uh, this time told by the character of Charlie, that this is considering this a remake, not a sequel, so the original rules don't apply. Now we had Randy for the rules in one and two and a videotape of Randy brought by his sister Martha in three for those rules. Or no, was that two? No, no, oh, it was three, because he died three? in two. <laughs> right, 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 okay. It's like melding together in my mind after you watch all of them one after another. So this one um, hits a lot closer to, to Sydney. He's a lot closer to home because our killer turns out to be her cousin and her cousin's uh, friend. And the whole idea is that the cousin is jealous that Sydney is, has some notoriety for the killings. Oh, not the best, still better than three. So at this point, I would rank them one, two, four, three. And that is basically the history of it. It didn't seem like we were going to move beyond that because, I mean, we're talking 1996 to now. That's been quite some time since the first movie. How many times can people keep getting into the same situation and surviving? Even in some of the longest running uh, horror franchises, we do see a change up of the final girls as the film goes on. I'm sorry, as the film series goes on. So like in Nightmare on Elm Street, you have, you know, Nancy to Kristen to Alice, you know, moving on like that. Um, so when Scream 5 was announced, it was a little bit of a surprise to see all of the original characters who were still alive at this point were returning. We so knew we're that, still alive. Sorry? That we knew we're still alive because I still sure. swear, because there is a, um, slight spoiler, there is a Matthew Lillard voice cameo in this one. 
yeah, he's he's always had a little bit of a hand in in each subsequent film. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with do do with that in the future. However, in this film, we just have Dewey, uh, David Arquette, uh, Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox, and Sydney back, uh, Nev Campbell, along with a whole new cast again, as well as a few cameo appearances appearances from people who appeared in uh, four. So I'd say a little more than cameo for one for the main uh, one, but yeah, yes and no. It's kind of if you didn't see four, it doesn't really hurt that you if you saw four, you'd recognize her. If you didn't see four, it'd be like, oh, okay, it's someone new. Yeah, true, true. But why would you not see four? Because it came out eleven years after the one before that. <laughs> uh, fair point, but I'm gonna. I would say if you're gonna skip any one of them, I would skip three. In spite of Lance Henriksen being in it because I love him. But so that is where we were when, you know, we got the news of the new one coming out, which was interesting because we are in that age of remakes that don't look like remakes and movies that look like remakes, but are continuations and weird titles. So that's where we landed. And I just want to put out my little big complaint here. Can we have named it something different than the original? I'm getting tired of these remakes or recalls, whatever I call them having the same name because it's a pain in the ass when well, you're trying to find stupid. stuff. I mean, the, at the very least, you give it a subtitle just to right. differentiate it. There's only one thing stupider in my mind, and that's what they did with coming the second Coming to America movie where you could o- where they put a two there, but you only see it, you only know it's a two if you're reading it. If you're saying it out loud, you have no clue which one you're okay, talking about. Okay, that was dumb, but to be honest, the one thing that I hate the most in all these sequels, prequels, requels is the like six different timelines of halloween yes the okay so we had the original in 78 then we had rob zombie did a completely new timeline well and then, then we also had you know two and th- and you know season of the witch and h2o and all these in between then you had rob zombie do a remake and do a new timeline and then they did the sequel where they're reverting back okay everything after the first one didn't happen it was just you know anyway yeah, no, and I will give Season of a Witch a pass only because, like, that was very early in the series. They didn't know it would go on forever. But, and I mean, I like, I, I will say I liked Season of the Witch, and um, I've heard here and there that the initial idea behind the Halloween movies was not to have, you know, your slasher killer coming back, but to have, like, an anthology series of different stories taking place on Halloween, which would have been fine, but with the way the series went, it just, it can be very confusing to someone, especially not familiar with the series, not familiar with the genre to try and come in and figure out, okay, where the hell are we now? True. It, but in hindsight, I digress. Tells us, hindsight tells us that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So before we go any further, I almost forgot, um, spoiler warning in effect now for the current film. Oh shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I just basically told all the plots and killers from the first four movies. However, You've had 11 years plus. Yeah, it, it's been a while. So if you're not there yet, why are you even listening to this? Like, I mean, I would thank you for being here, but still. Of course, of course. Why. Obviously, you want to hear our, our wonderful conversation, but yeah, I would I would watch all of the movies before you even get this far. All right. So we're going to take a little small break from the actual movie, and we're just going to talk about what it's like going to the cinema at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, anything interesting happen on your trip to the cinema, Amanda? Uh, it was a ghost town. It was really weird um, because I went opening weekend, which a film like this, you'd expect to do better. Um, but obviously, depending on where you are, it's not that safe. Depending on what the restrictions are in your area, you might not be comfortable with them. Um, the theater I went to, it was a classic cinema. 
uh, but it was also being run by another chain. So that was confusing. Um, it, there was like a skeleton staff working. Uh, the guy we were talking to was like, I was like, you know, where do I get a soda? And he didn't know what to tell me. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, what was cool though, is in the theater lobby, there was an actual arcade. I cannot tell you the last time I saw something like that. And if I'd had the time or, you know, quarters to waste, I would have spent some time there, but we were there to see the movie. And that said, I went with um, a family member. Uh, there were probably a total of eight of us in the theater and it was reserved seating. So we weren't near anyone. Um, everything seemed pretty clean, uh, but yeah, it was just the, it was so empty. It wasn't what you would expect, even for a late showing of a film that had this much anticipation. I think a lot of people are waiting for it to hit streaming. And I can understand that, but um, I have been spoiled on stream films in the past. So if I have the opportunity to see it in the theater, I will go. My theater had two other people besides us there. Mm-hmm. Um, though we did see about three weeks after release. So I'm sure that played a role, but the odd thing is um, I've seen two other movies since the pandemic officially began. Mm-hmm. Um, saw one movie like seriously like the week when things started to go to hell. We were like thinking back and forth in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. So since the pandemic began, I saw Candyman, Encanto, and now Scream. Oh yeah, and- I did. The last film that I went to see was Candyman. That was another one. I, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to see it in the theater. And at that point, we were kind of at a that stage where we thought things were getting better but how silly were we yeah yeah and so even even Encanto was a lot not well Encanto had like five or six other people no way I forgot there's like seven there's like seven eight people total in the theater including us and I went with my spouse um I trying to block out my Encanto experience because there's some people that were really annoying during the movie and so we're not going to go into that right now But the, this one was still very small, even when I consider like it was, I mean, I also was like a one day or something, but I would have mm-hmm. thought to be some more people. Um, it just reminds me because the last movie, because I usually see stuff opening weekend, especially Marvel movies, because you will get spoiled. Um, and my spouse was a, slightly annoyed because we haven't seen Spider-Man yet. Oh. And we, I was like, no, we're seeing Scream. <laughs> and they're like, but Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy in the blue and red tights. We'll be fine. <laughs> at this point i'm like look the second we see it's gonna be in disney plus the next week most likely so yeah because <laughs> that's what they seem to do that's what they do with Encanto. <laughs> so we're just kind of yeah a marvel or disney film you can kind of count on within at least a, a couple months it hitting streaming whereas um like at right now i don't know when or if scream will hit streaming at all um, there's no plans so for that yeah that's up in the air so yeah i would have made the same decision what would they have streamed under though? Like, are they, would they be like an HBO type thing or? I don't know. I would assume it would go to something like HBO or yeah, one of the, like the premium ones. Yeah. But I'm just like, not, cause they're not. Like um, Malignant went straight to HBO as well. Cause they're not hundred percent associated with like, like with Disney or Marvel or Star Wars, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Disney. This one, we don't really know for sure. Mm-hmm. So that also plays up it a bit. Um. And then Disney's been really weird with their straight to streaming ones. Like, for example, that there's a movie called Turning Red. It's a cute mm-hmm. cartoon. It looks like this little girl, angry, turns into a panda. Or, no, Red Fox or Red Panda. Red Panda. 
Yeah. Someone totally didn't see Teen Wolf as a child in the 80s and thought, hey, let's <laughs> bring it back. But that's going straight to Disney Plus in March. No theaters. So on one hand, I'm sad because mm-hmm. that, that's, that deserves theaters. On the other hand. Well, and that that is strictly, I think, a, a business move by Disney because they're not seeing the returns in the theaters yet. And that's why that whole um, problem started up with uh, the Black Widow movie going to streaming. When this when director. It wasn't supposed to, yeah. This is like one, I think this is like one of the first movies though that had like an Asian American like director or someone like a main person behind it too. So I'm like, really? Yeah, but, they're just, they're cutting their losses Disney right now. Yeah. Um, they know that Marvel is going to draw out a stronger following than an animated film might because I mean, what's an animated film? A lot of times it's parents with young children. I think they're less likely to take them out into this kind of atmosphere that we're in. Um, and Disney is, um, I mean, they've lost a good deal of money across the board, not only in film revenue, but in park revenue and whatnot. So I think they're really trying to kind of tighten their belts a little. However, it's going to be to the detriment of some of these films. Well, then our part, though, is this film doesn't have, doesn't have the star that Scarlett Johansson is to fight back and say, I was promised yeah. royalties based on box office. Now, what are you mm-hmm. going to do for me? So I do feel for the smaller creators and um, less known people who are going to get kind of pushed to the side. Yeah. But enough about that. Uh, one more thing about the theater. Does anybody know what the actual serving sizes are for a large soda and popcorn at Regal are? Because I'm telling you, my 50 ounce soda and 170 ounce popcorn, no way could they have been that big. <laughs> really? Because that that's, well... They probably are. I just don't want to believe it since I'm supposed to be seeing a nutritionist soon. And that's uh, yes. probably at, not going to go well. At, at, you know, the theater I went to, I confess, I did get my bucket of soda and wheelbarrow of popcorn, but I ended up, I do this all the time. I buy the biggest and then I leave more than half of it there in the trash when I leave. I didn't. Um, um, I may have taken a photo though, before the theater started of me drinking my soda <laughs> and I put a caption on the cup from uh, the, the state channel I went to and just say they would abyss boy oh yes I those saw who've that. watched that <laughs> maniacs the original i remember potty emergency that was me but yeah because <laughs> that's how i felt drinking that thing <laughs> okay um also about there so did you have did you have any interesting trailers before your your showing um yes i think i saw all the same ones that you did because uh, there's that one dog with channing tatum and ooh mm-hmm. a dog and why does this look cute and why do I want to see it it looks adorable because there's a dog in it but you couldn't pay me to see it because dog movies never end well either the dog dies or someone has to give away the dog and then you cry and I'm just no yeah it has something to do with like a veteran so there's gonna be also additional like heartstring moments so yeah it's like he's a vet and he's taking um a vet who passed his former i think his actual military dog like cross country to his family or whatever yeah so super well behaved super yeah yeah my you know it's like the turner and hooch thing they got to get into some trouble first before they bond and my theory is at the end he's gonna have to like give the dog to the person's family or whatever and i'm like nope not into it they're gonna be like no no the dog loves you you be with him or the dog's gonna save his life or something yeah Yeah. don't need to cry no thank you we're good now the cursed that one looks interesting it 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 looks interesting but it's also misleading because when i saw the trailer i was thinking this was going to be something like the witch because it looks spooky and the scarecrows and buried things it's a freaking werewolf movie 
Oh, I mean, it, that- yeah, it was originally t- titled Eight for Silver, and it did really well at like the indie festivals. For some reason, upon major release, they're changing to, to this really generic name. Um, that comes out this weekend. I'm, I'm probably going to go see it, actually. But that yeah, I'm not so sure thinking was there. Because if, if they're also changing the title, because the thing that the uh, plague has shown me about some movies, too, is because of the delayed release time. Okay. There's been more time for people in the, the for more of the corporate suits to put their hands in and make changes or request changes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that concerns would, me as well. That would be unfortunate. It does look really good from the trailer. If you know a little bit misleading, I did. I I only found out that information because I wanted to look up to see when it was going to be released. I found out oh the title change and what it was really about. I I still do want to see it. I'm not sure. We're in theory. I'm supposed to be going somewhere this weekend, so won't be able to see a movie, but. We're going to see. Then we had the romantic comedy, Marry Me. Um, You know, it's got a good song. Not that Marry Me one, but the other one that On My Way, that's that's a bop. Um, I haven't heard that one yet. Um, Oh, it's good. It's on Spotify. Check it out or whatever your preferred non-shitty streaming services. Yeah. I have Pandora free trial and Amazon Music free trial right now. They end soon. And sadly, they both... The UI and all that sucks compared to Spotify, especially for finding songs, but you can't make choices here. So whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but the uh, there's one you there's one reviewer on YouTube I like. He sends like a lot of stuff. I like he actually really liked Marry Me. And he's really? about our age. And he because you said him and his wife went to see it and she she went because she wanted to hate watch it and she ended mm-hmm. up liking it. Don't you hate when that happens? Right. It's like, no, I was gonna be pissed. That happened when I watched the Dora the Explorer Explorer movie. It was goddamn funny. I watched Geostorm. I'm like, oh, this is good. It's <laughs> horrible, but I like it. <laughs> and, and for those who don't know Mary Me, did you read fan fiction in the early 2000s? Did you read webcomics? Okay, chances are you read the plot to this because it was actually based on webcomic that sold the rights years ago. Oh, look at me. I'm a famous star. And it took no. them this long? I've been dumped. You, random person in the audience, I will choose you. Basically. Look, I'm pretty sure that I have written that fan fiction at some point, and it was probably a damn sight better than the movie would be. Oh, I've read some of your fan fiction. No, we're not telling you where to find it. Don't ask. Um, and I'm sure they were damn. I'm positive they were better. However, I must remain incognito. Yes. Because, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it looks a little trite. I'm sure it's cute, but not really my cup of tea. Yeah, it's maybe if it's streaming on something i have access to in the future i might catch it at some point but i'm not doling out the 10 bucks for a ticket plus the 20 something for my popcorn and soda because it's required uh, but then we have something on the other end of the uh taste spectrum which i want to see which <laughs> sums me up a lot jackass forever because yeah. who doesn't want to see 40 to 50 year old men hurrying themselves like they're 19 that would be me i don't want to see that there's there's bits like in all the jackass movies the original one the bit that guts me the cringe the most is when they give each other paper cuts like anything else okay but the paper cuts because they yeah they do it on like between their fingers and stuff i'm like oh yeah no bad bad." gotta say that no yeah i i was never a fan of the series i've never had any inclination to see the movies i mean it's just i think we own the dvd set of the series oh good god we found it at rasputin for the record the used movie place Uh that's my defense right now and i think there's like two or three 
movies that I ever owned, though I'm pretty sure at least one of those was a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, then finally uh, was the trailer for The Lost City, which, while not usually my cup of tea, looks really good. Yes, I really want to see this, and I will say I'm a little uh, uh, biased because um, Sandra Bullock is in it, and I will see pretty much anything with her in it. Um, she filmed a movie about two blocks from my house when I was 11 years old and I stood out there all day just like watching because it was you know they're making a movie right here how cool and she was so sweet and so kind and you could see that she was tired but she was still would come talk to everyone she was just it it made such an impression that I mean she's like one of my favorite actresses to this day so I will see just about anything with her in it and it looks really good it reminded me a little bit of the 80s film uh romancing the stone kind of the same premise um with its own little twist and of course um you have Channing Tatum again uh and Daniel Radcliffe who I had seen previously obviously in a couple of the Potter films by um the woman who has no name um and uh in the woman in black but not a whole lot of his work but i have been watching miracle workers which is just so funny and he is so good in it that i look forward to seeing him in like another kind of off the wall role yes and now it's time for me to get she'll be coming around the mountain techno edition signed by dan Radcliffe, out of my head that was fantastic <laughs> oh it's the best <laughs> That, that whole series, I mean, every every season is a different little, it's an anthology series, so every season is a different story, and every single one of them has been fantastic. Always the same actors, just different roles, yes. for those who haven't seen. Uh, first along one, I believe they Along the lines of American Horror Story. Yeah. Yeah, the people coming back playing different roles, yeah. So, speaking of American Horror Story real quick, that's another one where the creator, like Kevin Williamson, did, like, teen this and then horror that. American mm-hmm. Horror Story was by the same guys that, or at least one of the guys that did Glee. Yeah, so that's a little odd. Someone had then, to, then Glee so, did get pretty horrific there, didn't it? Oh, the last few seasons were so we got through it, but it was like so horrible. Like I know you stopped at a certain point because yeah, you know, I didn't even get out of the first season. To be honest, I enjoyed some of the musical arrangements, but once yeah. i recall correctly it was once they did that non-credited rendition of baby got back by yeah jonathan they colton. stole they stole jonathan colton's arrangement of baby got back and didn't give him credit which is complete bullshit mm-hmm. and it's like everyone involved in the show is is dying more disgusting so i don't even want to think about it anymore yeah they just I'll, i might do something later on about going the whole thing but if mm-hmm. i don't on youtube look up mike the snare mic listener um he does like a whole thing where he just rewatched glee and went through like everything and like oh god the horror show but it's really good it's just a long watch if you're into that yeah. okay so i think we've so that was it for the trailers um but yeah definitely want to see the lost city um i'm oh i'm i'm all for the new cast of them having like himbos in the films yes. uh between chain tatum here and then how did i forget the actor thor's name um but him and the ghostbusters the, yeah oh he was Hamlet. hilarious in ghostbusters yeah yes like movie not the great not doesn't love two originals but still fairly enjoyable oh but velocity does have brad pitt swooping in as like the real hero hero and i'm on board for that i'm still in eh, brad pitt whatever oh. all right poll time who for those who've seen the movie troy from like the early 2000s were you a hector girl or 
Hector person or were you an Achilles person? Because I was on Team Hector. Thing, right? Because in Troy, I was on Team Hector, but hello, interview with the Vampire Seven. True. Even freaking out whole world. Yes, we, we won't discuss my love of Brad Pitt, but suffice it to say it exists. It, he does this, some good stuff. And Okay, we'll go with that. All right. So now I think it's time we get into the actual movie because we've only been recording for... Um, oh, look, I don't have a time on my computer, so we're good. <laughs> All right. So again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you complain that you heard a spoiler that was not over a decade old, this on you. Spoilers, 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 and opinions that may not be popular, but deal with it. So first we're going to the cast a little bit. So we mentioned before, Nev Campbell, she's playing Sydney Prescott. Yep. Um, if you haven't seen a screen movie and you're of a certain age, millennial, you would remember her from Party of Five, the movie 54, the movie Wild Things, and of course the original Craft, the good one. Mm-hmm. We then have Courtney Cox, who plays Gail Weathers. Um, she's a reporter from the beginning. Um, and she was Monica? On Friends? Yes. I barely watched Friends. <laughs> um, then we have David Arquette playing Dewey Riley. Yay. He is, a sh- he's a sheriff in town. And then in the original film, there well, was- Well, he was a deputy in the original film. Deputy, there we go. He's law enforcement. Yes. Um, and then in the original film, he had a sister named Tatum. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she was one of the casualties in that film. That was Rose McGowan in yep. one of the most iconic kills from that movie. From Could the first you fit, she, she died. She tried to crawl through like the doggy door on the garage. Can you fit through a doggy door? Because my arm might fit. <laughs> and I couldn't get my fat ass through one of those. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't even try. <laughs> that door, it would make fucking... more sense to try to just take like a running leap at the thing and bust through like the Kool-Aid man. Right? It's a garage. There's got to be something heavy and smashable in there. Then we have in our new, so those are our three returning ones, mm-hmm. main returning ones. Then we have Melissa Barrera. Barrera. Uh, she plays Sam character. So she, in this character, she is 20 years old. We'll get into what her relationship to past people is in a bit. Um, but she does have like a history of like some reckless behavior. There's yeah. some drug abuse. She's currently on some antipsychotic medication, which. And I have an issue with that, which we can go into when we get to it. Okay, yeah. Um, if you've seen her anywhere, she, apparently she was in the movie In the Heights. I did not get around to watching Ooh. that, but okay. she was there. Uh, then we have Jack Quaid, who's playing Richie Kirsch. Um, he is he's Sam. He's on The Boys. He's on The Boys? Oh, The Boys, yeah. yes. He's on The Boys. He was in The Hunger Games. Um, and his mom is Meg Ryan. Well, and his father is Dennis Quaid. He looks like, oh, you know, the the perfect amalgam of the two of them and you could look at his face and see both of them it, it's a little unsettling actually but yeah he did very well in the film i thought i didn't mm-hmm. see i'm not i didn't really get into the boys the first episode i was like nope out cool. there was a scene that that i'm just like not comfortable with i was like nope i'm done <laughs> and i have no clue who the who he was in the hunger games because there's a character called marvel i never watched the final one for the record and mm-hmm. i don't remember the other three that well and then there's jenna ortega who is well on her way to becoming a, a certified scream queen. Oh, um, definitely. Scream. She has Studio 666 coming out. X, which I also saw the trailer for with this one, which looks like um, a oh. 70s era group goes to shoot amateur porn at like a, a rental house and shit gets real. Oh, yeah. Um, she's also 
playing Wednesday on the TV series Wednesday, as in Wednesday Adams. So she's like really kind of dug into the genre, which I like to see. She also had um, a role in the Netflix movie. So Netflix has a duo of movies, The Babysitter yes. and the sequel, Babysitter Killer Queen. She was the love interest in Killer Queen. And I really liked her in that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Mikey Madison, um, who's playing Amber uh, Freeman. Um, and so she is like Tara's best friend. And then her thing to come around is she actually lives in the homes of one of the people from the original movie. Well, that's so like, like the big reveal at the end, dude. I didn't say whose house. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was in What's for Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Jenna Ortega, by the way. She plays Tara Carpenter. So she's yeah. Sam's sister. Sam's younger sister, yes. Yes. Um, then we have Dylan Minette. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he played Wes Hicks. Um, he was he's the son to one of the char- returning characters from Scream Four. Yeah, Judy Hicks, who was yep. I think a deputy originally. Now she's the sheriff, and we do see her again. Yep. Um, basically, we're round, we're rounding out that you know semi throwaway cast of young teenagers that you need in these films. Yeah, emphasis on the young. Mm-hmm. He was born nine days after the original Scream was released. Mikey Madison was born two years. But we're talking nine days. No, you were not allowed to- years after the film came out. She wasn't even alive. Uh, no, oh yeah. This just make me feel young or old. And then um Mindy and Chad, who we find out are actually the Meeks Martin twins. These are our character Randy Meeks' sister's children. So his niece and nephew. Now he's been dead for, for two movies, but we do have that um that he connection takes- to the originals. And the Mindy is the daughter yeah, or the girl uh, niece. There we go. That's what she she's a horror buff like her uncle. Yes. Um watching the stab movies is like a comfort film for her. Now the I, only I odd part about that is because she's watching a uh fiction of uh, reenactment basically of her uncle's murder, and that's comfort. Yeah, a little. But watching horror movies, no, those are totally good comfort films. Totally acceptable. I agree. Like, give me, you know, I was watching something about My Bloody Valentine, the 1981 version last night. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there going, getting all misty because my mom used to, my mom watched that when she was pregnant with me. And that's that oh, memory that I have. It. Yeah, that's why that one. And I still need to watch the one with um, the remake, though, because Jensen. You yeah. haven't watched that yet? No, I don't have it. For some reason, I have um, Jared Padalecki's Friday 13th. I own that, but you not that sucker out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have opinions, but that's for another day. Uh, oh, I yeah, think so, I got um, free for my sister. <laughs> Mindy Meeks Martin is Jasmine Savoy Brown. Chad Meek Martin's Meeks Martin, I believe they're meant to be twins, is Mason Gooding. Mason Gooding. Sandy Cuba rounding, Gooding Jr. Very good actor. Really? We saw. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and then rounding out the teenage cast is uh, Sonia Amar as Liv, who is sort of like the token kind of emo. Perfect like a girl who is dad's girlfriend and her and there's one other guy like that is one of the victims yeah. um but I, uh, it's kyle gallner who is um plays Vince, Vince. who's like the creepy older guy with the cool car who hangs around teenagers yeah him and Liv, they did not give very much characterization to they did yeah. not flesh out very um, but Vince well, I mean, was in the walking stereotype. So that was like enough for him. But yeah, her character kind of got shafted. Yeah. And then Vince was in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake or reattempt. 
we're gonna forget that excess reattempt we'll go with that word and then um, another uh returning character is heather Matazaki. uh i can't say her freaking name but i'm gonna pretty i'm gonna pronounce it but okay so she plays martha meeks she's randy's sister she from randy's the third movie. Sister. she popped up with the videotape um to kind of get randy's rules into the third movie after he was gone um any 90s kid is going to remember her from Welcome to the Dollhouse. That's like... Uh, Welcome to the uh, Dollhouse, Princess Diaries films. Oh, yeah, those two. But Welcome to the Dollhouse is like a cult film, so... Yeah, true. So there's just a couple places. I know I saw her some other things, and I'm always like... I always like it when I see her show up because her roles are small. The roles I've seen her in, because I, I didn't see Welcome to the Dollhouse, they're smaller roles. Mm-hmm. They're not the main character, but I still really like that character she played, and she did a good job yeah. on all of them. Mm-hmm. all right so that's uh, oh and then we have um marley shelton who plays sheriff judy hicks um and that's all the characters we're gonna go <laughs> into for now um that is is your your main solid cast um so we go into the film's opening and it starts of course with the uh oh, we oh. need the, the, the attack um normally we would call this the first kill but what this film does a little differently from every other movie in the franchise is Tara, who is the first one to be attacked. She's home alone. She's texting her friend. She's getting the creepy phone calls from Ghostface, who eventually shows up to, you know, try and kill her. She survives. Now, this hasn't happened before. We're already changing things up, which is... Yeah. And of course, it does kind of play into modern technology. I think there's a gag, like, about having a landline. I think there might have been because the landline's ringing and she ignores it because she's texting with Amber, her friend, who she thinks is Amber. And she's like, Do you, why do you even have a landline? But yeah. And of course, we have the absentee parent, her mother, who's not there. Who's never there. She she does not show up the whole film. And I have critiques on that level of parenting, but maybe they're saving her for Scream Six. Parenting becomes an issue throughout this film. Well, all the films actually. Well, the first film, the fourth film, any film where there's teenagers, yeah. when they're not like in college or older. Yeah. But yeah, so Tara is the first one attacked. Um, they do a really good way of melding modern technology in with, you know, what is literally a what, 25 some year old uh, premise. Yeah. And so then, she has the, the smart home with the locking the app and using the cell phone alongside the landline it worked really well the surprise was that she made it out alive oh though i did want to call out one of the tropes they put in here that i i know right away and it's the person it's in a lot of horror movies in the past decade or so mm-hmm. person is crawling on the floor away from the killer because they're hurt but you oh, have yeah. that shot of them as they're crawling toward the camera and then the killer yanks on their leg and pulls them back yeah i mean which, that's a that's a standard in in horror films in general it always has been yeah but it's been more i've noticed it more prevalent lately especially because for the film quarantine that Mm -hmm. that first spoiler for that movie by the way that is actually the ending shot of the film but it was put in the trailer yeah so that's that to me is going really okay Mm -hmm. so but then so we find out that she's she gets attacked and then the next day her sister sam gets a call from wes that like hey so about your sister you know i know the the boy who kind of has a thing for tara yeah um we do have that conversation with the kids outside the school where they gave us some backstory and whatnot um 
but it does become clear that Tara surviving is a vehicle to get her sister home. Um, the surprise at the time is that these are still unrelated to the principal cast from the first film, or so we think. So there is a cameo here. Um, the kids are outside of the school, like a similar scene to the first the original film. And the principal's voice comes over the speaker saying, no, we've canceled the dance or whatever was. That voice was Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. So no call back there course, if you paid attention. Yeah. Um, but then you'll, you'll be Barrymore, having that exposition. Drew Barrymore, of course, being the opening kill in the very first film, which is iconic at this point. Oh, totally. But then, so the kids decide, let's not go to school. Let's ditch and go to the hospital, mm-hmm. which I can see why to do that. But then one of the kids doesn't go. So it's like, oh, so we're trying to set suspects here, I guess. Um, but at the hospital, everyone's there. And then Sam shows up um, and her boyfriend, Richie, insists on coming along because he wouldn't let his girlfriend go all alone. Um, if we go by the city, so Sam had left home year, some like five years before. Right. And just, we see that there's kind of bad blood here. Um, Amber is kind of snotty about her being there because she left. So um, it's really a setup for the, um, you know, the prodigal daughter, pro- prodigal daughter coming home. And there's friction now between Tara's friend group and then her sister and this guy, her boyfriend, Richie, that uh, uh, Tara doesn't know. So we have these kind of competing groups. It's just a lot. Tara's just been attacked. And now her sister she hasn't seen in five years comes home. Mm-hmm. And she has a new boyfriend. So she meets her sister's new life, basically. And then it, it's a it's a little stressful and a little bit to take in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then let's see here. Um, but then everybody leaves because, you know, we got to kick everyone out. And it's time for a little heart to heart where Sarah and Tam- Sam and Tara that was a mistake um they discuss what's been going on like sam decides like right now i need to tell you why i left i need to unload a shit ton more on you well with good reason um yeah because so before before uh sam leaves uh she's supposed to be in modesto right modesto yes and that is not modesto in the film i will tell you that that is Modesto from Monsters vs. Aliens by DreamWorks, but it's not the real Modesto. I live in that crappy area. This is after, at this point, it's after a second kill. Um, Vince, the kind of throwaway creepy guy with the cool car who has uh, a implied history with the girl Liv, um, he gets, uh, well, he's it's another to death. Kill. Christine to death. I like that, yeah. Um, well, did he, did he die right at this point or did he die after they got there? Cause I'm always, I'm like a little bit confused on the timeline. I don't remember exactly if he, if it was before or after Sam and Tara talk. It's before they, it's before Sam and Tara talk because they're at the, the little club bar kind of like the bronze and Buffy kind place. Oh, right. Okay. So they went there before they went to the hospital. So somebody fucks with him with a car and then stabs him and he dies and it's kind of, eh. Okay. He was acted it. Yeah. We expected it. He was basically cannon fodder from the start. So no one really cared. Then we get to the hospital. But before leaving Modesto, we see Sam take some medication. And that is important. Yes. And you can see Richie questioning her about it. Like, like he thinks she like trying to build up like that she's a drug seeker or something. The way he asks, it's like, what'd you just say? Like he's thinking she's taking something bad. Um, so but- in the hospital, we see uh, a surprise appearance that 
made me actually kind of like a little in the theater. I was excited. I was like, yay. Um, Retera goes to the bathroom and we understand why she's, she's going to take her pills and we understand why she's taking her pills because when she looks in the mirror, she hallucinates and sees the original killer, Billy Loomis, talking to her, telling her she knows why this is happening. Then she gets a phone call with the original ghost face voice back to the original, just distorting the voice to um, Roger Jackson's voice. So she gets this, you know, phone call. She's getting, you know, taunted on the phone and eventually gets attacked in the hospital by Ghostface or whoever our unknown killer is. Someone and has to, yes, has to run for help. Um, so this kind of gives you the idea that whatever happened to Tara was purposely meant to draw her back. I mean, I know it comes out later, but this is is a little bit of a heavy-handed foreshadowing, I think. Because if anything, when we have um, Tara in her hospital bed, vulnerable, if Ghostface is going to be in the hospital, who do you think he would attack? The fact that he goes for Sam tells us you want there's, something, there's something about her. Nice. And this um, is what causes Sam to drop her truth bomb. Truth bomb is that um, Billy Loomis still has another connection to someone else in the film. Uh, apparently at some point in high school before he died billy got on with someone we don't know who we don't know who because we never see her but which makes sense in looking back at the original film when a major plot point was that uh sydney wouldn't have sex with him yeah so, so the idea that he was off screwing around with someone else is is not is not uh too far-fetched given you know high school it, and it fits the character it fits the character sadly but like yeah. the but yeah, so Sam is really Billy Lewis's child, um, but she never met him. And she found out by, she's a 13 year old. And th- at 13 years old, a lot of kids want to find out more about their parents, especially if one of them's not around. And her mom kept a diary at that time in the house that she shared with her husband that she told him he was the father of Sam. Who was most likely her actual boyfriend at the time when she was... A teenager and she was just screwing around with billy because she had a thing for him so sam finds this and in confronting her mother she doesn't realize that her father is an earshot so he hears everything that's what causes the parents to split and again this goes back to the original screen film that it all came down to billy's parents splitting up that kind of pushes him off the deep end so tara is pissed because sam took off as soon as she was able never told her any of this and she's more angry at her leaving than she is about finding out the truth that her father is you know who at this point would be a well-known serial killer yeah and it's just and i i do understand sam wanting to be like no this would happen i have to get this off my chest i've kept this for so long but tara's also been through something very traumatic and it was just a yeah, lot but she's trying, on her. She's, she has to protect her because she needs to know that there's this link yep she has the to know that the thing that bothered me is they make it a very offhand comment and oh I did every drug I could find it's like a very one line thrown out there and and to try and make an explanation for the fact that she's hallucinating the dead serial killer father that she never met it's a little much to throw with just to throw all on a single line it is again I live kind of in the area where she moved to Mm -hmm. and the area where she moved to there's drugs everywhere unfortunately Mm -hmm. it's a really big problem um 
where exactly is Wordsboro supposed to be? I believe it's supposed to be somewhere in Southern California. They never uh, really go into it. Okay. It's hours away from Modesto. So, well, the so the area code used in the movie on the phones is for Santa Rosa, which is like north of San Francisco in uh, Sonoma County, mm-hmm. Wine County. Um, it's a lot more affluent area, so it's kind of it's only like two. Well, it's of maybe a con- under two hundred miles away, but if it takes place around there. It's still like, forget all of California. You're pretty much gonna find drugs everywhere. It's it still does well, not yeah, explain just, that a bit. That still not explain. It, it, they don't go into it enough to make it sort of a palatable plot point. Right, it's just they, like kind of a oh yeah, this is why no more explanation needed kind of thing. It's the MacGuffin, um, basically. This is our reason. We're done. Yeah, but so that gives us the connection that sort of sets up the whole thing. We think Tara was attacked because her sister is Billy Loomis's daughter. That's where we. That's where we land with this. And this is when we start bringing in our original characters because. Well, yeah, because on the way, Tara asked Sam to leave the hospital room mm-hmm. and the sheriff is outside the hospital room for good reason. And she not so kindly mentions to Sam how it'd be better if she just left town again. So that's that's our first introduction of a new care of a previous ring character and in a big way like, oh, I recognize her. I wonder who else will be in the movie if you didn't watch the trailers and realized already who was going to be in the movie. <laughs> so, and that's when we get to Dewey. And it's a little sad. They kind of played back and forth. Um, in the original Scream film, uh, Dewey ends up in, you know, getting together with Gail Weathers, the reporter, and they have this kind of on and off again thing throughout the films. Um, at one point they get married, but as we start, Dewey is looking really broken down. He's not working. He's drinking. He's watching Gail on TV. He's living alone. It's not a great place. So he is just really downtrodden. He's the only one still in Woodsboro. Kind of like it, it made me think of like Mike in the It movies, um, the one, you know, the keeper of the lighthouse kind of thing. So he's still in Woodsboro and Sam goes to him and tells him, you know, I'm Billy's daughter and I need help. And he's like, yeah, no thanks. Well, with but, him, yeah, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Um, one thing, so one thing also is going really quickly. So they're at his house, and two things one, we see Tatum's ashes on the mantle, which There's, is a nice, a nice callback because I don't think she'd even been mentioned this maybe no. once since the first one. There definitely been no mention of the connection between them since she died in the first one, yeah. So that was nice. And then I think I read in either trivia or somewhere. Um, basically with Dewey and Gail is she wanted to, she wanted these bigger things for herself out of Woodsboro and yeah. well I she mean, they, go in, they go into that further that you know she had a job in what was it New York and he tried but it just wasn't for him and at some point I guess she tried to stay but it, like she, her career wouldn't go anywhere and so mm-hmm. it sounds like they they divorced because they wanted the other one to be happy but that, that's that's yeah. kind of the feeling I got yeah, from it. But like it just from him, it leaves, you know, Dewey in kind of a sad state by himself. Yeah. And the first thing he does once he throws Sam out of his house, because he's like, uh-uh, I'm not getting involved in this, is to call Sydney, who we see is married, has kids. The um they do make the reference that she's married to Mark, who is the character, the police character that Patrick Dempsey played. And in uh, the third one, right? Yeah. So that was that was a nice like kind of callback. It does um, 
give one of the better lines in the film and he's like do you have a gun and she's like i'm sydney prescott of course i have a gun apparently nev campbell came up with that line <laughs> it's so also like- worth worth mentioning that um david arquette and courtney cox were married in real life and unfortunately it, it didn't work out so it's nice that they're able to work together and come back and do these films again and again in spite of their own you know personal troubles i would i would hope that the relationship is kind of like the one in the film where they still care about each other but yeah i mean it would be nice if it was amicable obviously we don't know but and it's not our it business does, it does add a certain bittersweet note to the characters it does um and then we see though so after talking to sydney and he tells her do not come back to woodsboro which we all know means she's going to come back duh mm-hmm. he then well, texts she does say, she does say uh-uh i'm not coming but we know that she's going to come yeah like there's if they just left at that scene of him on the phone with her and then she never comes back, oh, there'd be a totally different reaction to this film. <laughs> like that was our that was our like fan service. No. Uh, but then Dewey texts Scale and then he thinks about saying the second test, like with a smiley face about hope you're doing well. And it's like, maybe not. <laughs> Which it's just so seems sad. like so we, cute. We love Dewey and we don't want to see him sad. No. Um, and then then we go to the scene that, you know, I really didn't like. It was so I don't know. It was just, it felt so. It wasn't linear. It was like, oh, and then this happened. Well, not even that it wasn't linear. It just felt so contrived because we have like this meeting of the teenagers with uh, Sam and Richie and then Dewey in the Meeks Meeks Martin twins house where we see um, a big picture on the wall of Jamie Kennedy as Randy. And it's, you know, the Randy Meeks Memorial Home Theater, which was cute, but it was so... um, contrived is really the only word I can come up with because I can't see it being even slightly realistic to have this okay my friend was attacked isn't in the hospital so we're all gonna gather together and have a discussion about it and discuss that you know it just it felt really weird it happened more organically yeah it happened more organically in the other films like especially in the first one where you have the small groups of them you know kind of talking on their own like you have Randy talking to Stu in the uh video rental store imagine that where he worked and then billy happens to show up or then and then uh sydney talking with tatum it felt more real where this was just okay let's all gather together and have this discussion i I really didn't like that at all but this does give um them an opportunity to bring out the new rules of the requel it's a reboot and a sequel and we have mindy who is like the the horror film nerd like her randy she's randy's skin He's the new Randy. Yeah. And I, I like that they like, she was like so passionate. I liked her character because it's, yeah. she knew the rules, the sort of comfort. She was, she was written a little bit differently than a lot of the other characters we've seen in the past for the yes. sniffer role. Um, I do definitely agree. Like this, I get the point of the scene. I just, maybe yeah, it's see, like, the film was very packed though, too. I understand that it was necessary, but I don't feel like it was done well. It was just too contrived for me. I, I think they just didn't have the time because the movie had so many characters. Like yeah. we were yeah, talking about were, fan fiction. We talked about fan fiction earlier. And if you are a writer who writes even like regular novels as well, you'll know that once you get beyond a certain number of characters, it is very hard to keep track of everything. Oh yes. Like just look at soap operas, like how much screen time they give to each little story like line there. It's like, here's your 30 seconds here. And then our 30 seconds there and you're done for the episode or whatever. What this does give us though, is an opportunity for us to see full force the connections they say vince who got christined and then stabbed 
um, was Schumacher's nephew. And obviously that was one of the killers from the first movie. We see, you know, forcefully that Mindy and uh, Chad are Randy's niece and nephew. So there's their connection. Then we hear that Wes's mother is Judy, the sheriff who was a deputy in one of the previous films. And again, we're going back to the idea that there is a continuation of a stab franchise the movie within a movie. And what I really liked about this is they do the, they show like this goofy clip of it at some point that is like taken right out of uh, like, uh, what is it, Jason X where he's in space where it's like all metallic and completely out of character for the character. There's a flamethrower. Yeah, so it was funny. That, that was clever, it was funny. It was making fun of the genre, which we expect from these films. But again, the scene, it just, it felt out of place. But from there, we follow Wes home, and then we learn. One thing we learn about Wes um, is that his mom is very safety first on him. Like you carry a taser, you know how to do this. Like she, she prepared him. Like not as not as hard as in the um, latest round of Halloween movies, mm-hmm. where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter was like taught to shoot and do all this stuff. Yeah, she was really overkilling those judy Judy is proactive which we understand and she's a sweet Um, she's a sweetheart um no clue who wes's father is no it's it's not important to the story so he's not there um i did like um when we see west home alone there are lots of opportunities for the kind of jump scares that we're used to where someone opens a cabinet door and then closes it and you expect there to be the killer standing there and it never happened but they vamped the music every time i love that because that like did it like several times so it was really funny but it we made you jump it, more waiting and then see nothing <laughs> thinking like oh it, yeah oh more oh the next time oh this one's really gonna be it no it's um, it's judy who gets the the phone call from the killer uh, because she had stepped out to pick up their dinner so while wes is at home just you know doing his thing taking a shower and whatnot it's it's judy who was on the phone and you know rushing her ass to get home so exactly what you expect to happen happens she doesn't make it in the front door and ghostface was pretty damn um confident here because he again we said spoilers he straight up stabs her ass multiple times in front of the house in broad daylight yeah that is and that's different compared to the other films because even when there were daytime kills they were always done in kind of secluded place so this is like right in the middle of you know a residential neighborhood how did someone not see this Right. And then, meanwhile, Wes inside taking a shower and you're just waiting for a reenactment of Psycho. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a few of the shots were actually direct from Psycho. Uh, and it was interesting for once the person with the partial nudity in the shower was not female. Yeah. So, you know, then changing things up. We're actually like thinking like, oh, we can do things different. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, even. Walk- oh, go ahead. Then we have him walking around the house. And again, we have the jump scares you mentioned. And then you notice the front door is open, like just a yeah. crack. But who who does this? You know, I open the door first and see what the fuck's up there. And the door is open. What does that tell you? Go the fuck outside. Exactly. So, but he, you know, just closes the door, locks himself inside, and then has the most um, boring, uninteresting kill. He just gets, you know, it was the effect was cool. The knife going through his neck into the door, but it was just so. Bleh. Now we have a character who is named for Wes Craven. We have to give him something better than that. Oh no, we, we get more for our Wes. We get more Wes praise later in the film, but 
the kill was not honoring Craven yeah. at all. No, to, if you if you're gonna name a character for someone like Wes Craven, you need to go all out with the kill. It's just it well, was they, disappointing. They did a lot of those. So the knife like going through the neck and like we had a lot of shots of the knife entering and exiting wounds and body parts and such. They seemed a lot like I get they were trying to go for a little bit more of a splash, a little bit more bloody or whatever we want, but they seemed a lot faker than the original one over 20 years ago. And I think it was just all the CGI. And I was just like, eh, okay. I mean, it's interesting, but you could have yeah. done more with less. So when Sam and then she's with Dewey, they come up upon this crime scene. They know shit's gone down and who shows up but Gail. And who's, you know, giving Dewey shit? Why did you just text me? Um, and he tells her that he's no longer the sheriff because he was forced into retirement because of his drinking. And it's a very heartfelt, sad moment. And then Sam notices that the deputy that is supposed to be guarding her sister at the hospital is at the crime scene. So Tara, who had been moved to an empty floor for her safety, no longer has someone there watching her back. And that leads to this mad rush to get to the hospital, wherein Tara also calls Richie to get him there just to have someone there. And of course, we have Ghostface show up. Um, the guard, a uh, security guard is dead. And actually one of the more, uh, I want to say cringing, cringy but not in the in the in the sense that you would think but as in oh that looks really painful um tara trying to run away but her yeah. her leg is fractured and she's got knife wounds in her hands and she's trying to wheel herself in this wheelchair and it's just bleeding it's oh you can see her cringing and yeah, that was that was a good a good a good touch that was the and then so you did mention the dead there was a there was a single dead guard in the hospital okay. so there was one on her floor and but it was like a guard not the deputy who was supposed to be there and then his excuse was the sheriff the sheriff has a whole other police department to help her you're supposed to be at your job <laughs> allow me to give like fictional excuse me let me go give some more fictional characters some shit <laughs> so sam and dewey get there about the same time as richie and uh ghostface is there and he has uh basically both richie and tara incapacitated and is trying to screw with sam making her choose who's gonna die what she does is, this is while she's still on the phone, um, she does the smart thing and she stalls for time until they can get there. And Dewey pulls out his gun and does what, you know, the smart person would do and shoots Ghostface, uh, shoots the killer. Um, and so they get Richie and they get Tara and they're running for the elevator to get the hell out of there. And then Dewey stops and he turns around because like Sydney did in the first film and in the subsequent films, you have to shoot the fucker in the head to be sure. And you know, as soon as he steps out of that elevator, you know. It's not the end of the film yet. So you're like, fuck. Dewey's not coming back. And this is rough because Dewey has been a favorite from the beginning. When I went to see Scream 2 in the theater, they make you think that Dewey was killed and people literally screamed his name. They were so upset to see it. But because it's this, you know, requel thing and they're bringing back characters from the very first film you know one of them has to die they do do and dewey is a and dewey because, is unviolently because they they have dewey so downtrodden he's you know drinking and he's living by himself and depressed 
you know it's going to be him as soon as he turns around. And that was a little heartbreaking. It was like, oh no, because you don't, you, do, you love Dewey. You don't want to see anything happen. But yeah, Dewey, um, the killer gets Dewey, uh, Ghostface uh, gets up, stabs him in the stomach and in his back at the same time. You and know, yeah, they of, want, filmmakers want to make sure you knew he's not going to be back. Yeah, sort of like, you know, salutes and like, it has been an honor before they leave. And by the time Gail gets to the hospital, um, Dewey is being wheeled out in the body bag and we know that he's gone and that was rough. And I have a problem with this scene as well, which I will relate later as we get into the nitty gritty of things. It's uh, Dewey's death that brings Sydney back. Mm-hmm. She said she wasn't going to come, but she had just spoken to Dewey and you know, this is someone who's been a lifelong friend with everything they've gone through. So she comes back and she wants to help. But Sam says, piss off we're leaving they're doing like we're doing no one ever does we're gonna leave town mm-hmm. which they did do that in a movie in insidious they did houses like with us we're leaving the house mm-hmm. things didn't change <laughs> but they're like they made a point to say like no one ever leaves and they're gonna get the hell out of town tara sam and richie mm-hmm. um but cindy's like i would like to point out that throughout all of this richie is fucking hilarious he is at sort of almost randy-esque comic relief that yeah he brings you back down so that way you're at a normal level before they scare you again mm-hmm. well i mean the the key to screen films has always been this clever melding of humor and horror and he fills that gap he did, he did it very well and mm-hmm. he was how do i put this he, like, he did very well and then the way they portray the who isn't the killer, the way they like go back and forth out the film to make you think it's this person or that person or this person. Everyone, you know, played their part really well of looking innocent or looking guilty, whatever the scene just needed. So I thought that was very good though. So so they're ready to have a creepy ass face. Oh, I don't think so. I think he's cute. When he was trying to be, when they needed him to look evil, he had a creepy ass face. He like did the sinister look really well. You're getting ahead of us here. I said, I said, when they made you think... Anyways, anyway, they're getting ready to bounce. And this is a personal pet peeve for me, but why the fuck are there always people with asthma in horror movies? And why is it always a fucking plot point that screws thing up for, things up for people? And they only start with an inhaler once at the beginning of the yeah, film. So we, we have Tara and she has asthma and she lost her inhaler and she can't find it. They can't leave without it because she needs it. So they decide they have to stop at her best friend Amber's house because Amber has a spare one. Now, let me tell you, I have had asthma since I was two fucking years old and I've never left a spare inhaler with a friend. Like, I could see I, it if like they were dating it and like this were a girlfriend and maybe and spent too much time there, maybe. But... It wouldn't even occur to me because it's the way they portray it is as a rescue inhaler, which you need uh, quite frequently and, you know, with some immediacy. So it wouldn't even make sense, even in terms of like, how do you get, how do you even have an extra to leave there in terms of prescriptions, but whatever. So that year's insurance. Yeah. So they go to Amber's house to retrieve this extra inhaler where in spite of one of their friends, yeah, one of their friends being dead, someone else they knew being dead, another friend being, you know, attempted murder in the hospital uh, the sheriff being dead and now Dewey being dead, they're having a fucking party. This is what what irked me about the original Scream, Scream films, but especially when it comes to this one is like Randy's sister knowing 
what is happening in Woodsboro, how could she let her children leave the fucking house? Right. Like, I don't, don't give me this. Oh, they said they were going to a friend or something like, no, no, no. Or even Your you know, friend's fine at home. You're fine here. She's already lost her brother, you know, all of her brother's friends. She's, she's seen this happen time and again. She would be on those kids. She would be, you know, checking their bedrooms every 10 minutes to make sure that they're still there because it was a stupid house party that caused the biggest uh, bloodbath in the first one. So it's like, it, I have a trouble suspending disbelief here because we still have Tara several days in the hospital. Her mother's still not back. Um, we have Amber's house. Where are her parents? You know, it just, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but you know, Barbie, it's for me to poke holes. Teenagers are stupid. And I will see them like going out and be like, look, like we're gonna go party. Like, you know, I'm invincible or it doesn't happen to me or I'll be fine. Oh, yes. Safety I numbers. Teenagers doing this, but in the other respects, like again and again and again, and then the parents knowing what goes on and still allowing their kids to go out. Like there is a lot of negligent parents in this town. I mean, look at uh, Tara's, Tara and Sam's mother. Her daughter has been assaulted multiple times and almost killed. And you think she would be, you know, doing her damnedest to get back like Home Alone style. Right? Like, she was like on like a book tour or something, I think they said in Europe. Like, okay. So right. one red eye later, hi. Yeah, it's it's not, the way that our society works now, it, it's very difficult to be completely unreachable. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that she couldn't get back unless like in, in the original scream where they had Sydney's dad locked up. I was waiting to see um, Tara and Sam's mom locked up somewhere. I was waiting for that. Yeah. So it yeah. didn't happen. So they end up at what is a party and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's, it's in honor of Wes, it. like Wes who had died like the day before, I think. Mm-hmm. So Nothing. they had like a big banner saying for no, West. So this it is... was, no, no, no. It was nighttime. I think it might've been that day. How do you get the banner and everything made that quickly? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have myself. Let's go on. Continue. So they're at this party and Sam and Richie kind of push all of the extra ki- kids out the door, leaving just the main group of Mindy and Chad and Liv is there and Amber. Um, this is the part where Liv was such a throwaway character. They put so little into her. She like disappeared for part of the story. It just, it didn't. Yeah. And then, and then it, during, I got to think of them more through. And then of course my personal pet peeve was just during the party, the eye makeup they gave her was just super distracting whenever, because the way the lights were shining on it. I was like, less sparkles, please. <laughs> and then we have like, you know, 20 minutes of, I'm going to go do do this. Do you want to come with me? No, maybe you're the killer. Well, maybe you're the killer back and forth, blah, 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 blah. It was a little much. Um, Richie has some good one-liners in there. It's funny. I love the part where um, he's going to go down into the cellar. um, And this is just after Mindy has given him, you know, given him the lecture about no, don't go alone, whatever. And he starts, he says, I'll be back. I'll be back. And he he goes, ah, and she he goes downstairs, she turns around back to the TV she's watching, going, he's dead. Well, and also, like, he's like, well, do you want to go with me? And she's like, no. <laughs> yeah. She's the smartest character in the movie, yeah. I swear. It, it was funny. There was a lot of humor there. Um, I think it was a little overdone with the, are you the killer? Are you the killer? Who's the killer? They could have um, trimmed a little bit there, yeah. You know, it's going to be somebody there, obviously. Um, they really try to push the idea, I think, that it's Liv. 
but they had so done so little to round out her character. I just, I knew that it couldn't be. I had already suspected one of the killers at this point. So can we get into dropping the bombs here? Yeah. One of the killers, like from like the first, from like the, when they're first in the hospital, everybody's in the hospital meeting with Tara Raptors. I called one of the characters in. I called one of the killers in. So did I. I said, it's Amber. Yeah. It it has to be Amber. Like she, she is too protective over this friend. Almost Mm -hmm. like, now the reason I got was wrong. So I was like, is she like secretly in love? Like no one can have her or I'm like that codependent. Like that was my call. Well, part of it with me is, was that she acted so protective, but then she wasn't there as, you know, you would think she would be the one sitting there when Sam is still sitting there. Right. Like, no, no, I'll stay here too. Or I'll be sitting outside. Yeah, it, or... just, it, it didn't, something seemed off from the beginning. Yeah. And, but this, this is my problem. And with the opening scene then, right. So we know, um, we get the idea first. Oh, Amber's phone is, is cloned. And that's why, you know, the killer is texting on it. We'll know Amber is. The killer. So Amber is texting. How Amber pre-recorded that video? Yeah, that's my thing. How did Amber film herself from outdoors? You know, which is it didn't fit. Well, she could just put her phone like up on a tripod or something and just pre-film that earlier in the night or even a previous night. Yeah, it it was it it's too much to suspend disbelief there for me. Yeah, that that part really is like. As the killer on the phone is taunting uh, Tara in the opening scene, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill Amber and sends this picture. There's a video of her of like watching her through the window. It just, it doesn't work without thinking the second killer is there helping her. But we know that the second killer can't be there because where is the second killer, Jax? Second killer is in my fucking valley. Although, again, it's depending when that was filmed. Well, Depending on what that happened, it's not a terrible drive anywhere in California. Like, well, but but Sam states, and no, Sam is not the killer. Did I just hear a dog bark? Yes. Um, um apparently there's someone outside across the street farting and my dogs are barking. Sorry. Sam states that Richie was with her because they do try to turn suspicion on him for being like the outsider and how long have you known him and whatnot. But yes, Richie is the other killer. His reveal is great. He's creepy as fuck. It's wonderful. But it just, it doesn't work for me, that part. Um, so Makes when Amber, Amber story-wise, like how they explain how they got together, but then the who was here and when does not make sense. Oh, and we can't forget there was kind of a running chase scene outside with Chad going to look for Liv and then Chad gets stabbed. So Liv comes in with blood on her hands, um, just like, uh, I don't remember. Just like in the first film where, oh, look, he's bloody. He must be the killer, you know? Right. He's like, and no, then... no, I was trying. I was trying. I found someone. I was trying to help him kind of thing. And we see Amber's reveal by just blowing her fucking head off. She the gun. She's like, well, that so, wasn't creative. Liv had shit characterization and then just got shot in the head. It was kind of dull. And, you know, guns always come into play in the screen movies, but they're always kind of like an extra as in steal the gun from the deputy, steal the gun from the cop kind of thing. In this case, we're just, hey, guns, boom. And then Amber's dead and we have the people trapped in the house. Meanwhile. Point, so lives in, so just so everybody's clear, we have Chad's outside stabbed. We have Mindy inside. We have Amber. We have Tara. We have Sam. We have Richie. And then Am live I'm, in pieces. And then lives dead. So that's, and, that's who we have alive right now in the house. <laughs> While this is happening, uh, Gail had stuck a tracker 
on Sam's car because they were going to follow her. And if she wasn't going to kill the fucker, they were going to do it. Like, I, I also like that line when they're hospital. Like, are you asking me to commit murder with you? Yes. Are you ready for this? Never. <laughs> but I knew as soon as they fucking said the address of where they were heading, not even the address, just the street, they said, Turner Lane. I'm like, oh my God, that's Stu's house. Yep. Which is the finale of this movie takes place in the same house that the finale of the first film. It um, can I do like that touch. Um, and I mentioned earlier, so Matthew lowered his low voice, who is Stu. Mm-hmm. During the party scene, you can hear him in the background saying, mm-hmm. nice house, Amber. Mm-hmm. Like, of course it's a fucking nice house. You used to live here. <laughs> I mean, it can seem a little on the nose, but I really love the callback. And then as you're looking at it, you can see, even though it's decorated differently, you see the bones of the house and you get it. It's exactly the same. I think what helped like though, had- with using the house too was that it wasn't like done in the sequel or even the third part. It mm-hmm. took quite a few parts of the movie before they came back there. Mm-hmm. so you really had to know other parts of the well, film to get just like they they mirrored tatum going for beer in the garage they did that with richie with going for beer in the basement yeah so they, they've done a lot of mirroring and then just having the house it was good because it puts that you know that dread into sydney and gail as they arrive to kind of like take the to save the day ptsd just like sink in mm-hmm. almost so then we get another callback this time to the second film where um Amber and Richie met online. Amber's been obsessed since she found out they were living in Stu's house. They're, you know, fun, happy killer couple, and they're going to uh, write, be the inspiration for the next stab film because the stab films have been getting a little stale. Like that flamethrower, oh, that was horrible. We need to give them some new inspiration. And instead of writing to the production company and doing, like, back in the day, tangent slightly, Back in the day, these like teenage girls wrote a story, basically a script for an Tiny Toons Adventures cart- um, episode. Mm-hmm. They sent it to the people who make the show and they actually made the episode. So instead of Stu and Amber just writing something and trying to get in touch with Hollywood, let's just kill people. That's easier. Well, yeah, this is their idea is that they're going to inspire the next movie by bringing back, you know, the legacy character being that Sam is the daughter of the original killer and they're going to frame it that she's the killer and do the same thing that Billy and Stu had planned and make themselves like, you know, the sole survivors. What I didn't like really is the, the whole toxic fandom thing that was discussed. It felt a little, I don't know. Nullifying. Because had- they met on Reddit, a subreddit. Yeah. And so I felt that was kind of like a little bit of vilifying fans who are like really into things. Like, most 99.9% of fans are not going to go and be like, let's murder, you know, everyone. Yeah. And like being an avid horror fan who likes to talk about horror movies and discuss like, as we are now plot problems and, you know, film inconsistencies, it feels a little eh, to, to go with that kind of a, uh, that kind of an explanation for, you know, their inspiration to do this, particularly coming off of um, the first film when they have Billy say the line after uh, Sydney tells him you've seen too many scary movies, he says, don't blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And then we come back to this where we're like blaming fandom in the film. It just felt kind of mm, not great. And then love bits there. Yeah, there are definitely some bits where it's like, no, we can't have a perfect movie. We try, can't, but 
So now we have Gail and Cindy have shown up to the house and Amber yeah, comes outside. Our, our final showdown here. Amber, <laughs> that, Amber that's comes like, help me. They're gonna, he's gonna kill me. Help me. And Gail okay. and Cindy are like, you mind this? Nope. That, and again, that was good. Shot. Cheap shot. Amber's like, oh, fuck it. Just grabs the gun and shoots at them. Mm-hmm. And she gets Gail because people of still don't pack some, bulletproof somebody, vests going into town. Somebody has to get it, right? You just bring the, when you come to town, you pack your bulletproof vest. That's the rule. Then we just end up with all these characters in the house sort of grappling for control of a gun, of a knife, who's going to oh. make it out. And- one scene I did, one bit I did like, because mm-hmm. Amber runs off. And then after making sure Gail's okay, Sydney goes in the house. No one's around, of course. Mm-hmm. And she starts walking around the house and yelling, come out if you're a killer, um, if you're a killer or not, come out or I'm going to start shooting. And then mm-hmm. she goes to each door and just shoots into each door. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck this. I don't care. And then she shoots Rich. She shoots the door, actually shoots someone, and it's Richie. Mm-hmm. At this point, we don't know he's one of the killers. And she's like apologizing to them, like, get downstairs. Mm-hmm. Oh, one bit, I have to go back. So when we had that meeting of the Scooby gang at the Meeks Martin house, um, mm-hmm. Dewey right away was like, well, he called Richie as being the killer right then and there. Yeah. And like, and I was like, and like, and like, so I was like, that's a bit on the nose. So of course it's not Richie. Mm-hmm. Eh, teach me a lesson. It was, it was a good misdirect. Yeah. But we basically, what it boils down to is we have all these people in the house and it's, you know, the showdown of who's going to make it. And what I really liked, um, because it was different. Normally we're just stab, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, they had smashed like a bottle of, uh, I think it was hand sanitizer on Amber. Thank you. Light. And she ends up getting knocked back into a stove and lit on fire. I'm like, hey, that's new. That's creative. I like that. Yeah, that was, um, that was good. But you saying uh, hand sanitizer, by the way, because that was an argument me and AJ had because they thought it was booze. I'm like, no, no, it's hand sanitizer. I swear someone said hand sanitizer. But, uh, you know, we have Richie still babbling about, you know, his he needs his movie ending and he's going to kill Sam. And this is honestly my favorite part of the movie. And I don't remember the exact dialogue. Because we've seen glimpses of Billy Loomis, um, that is, of course, Skeet Ulrich, and I don't know if they did CGI or if they did makeup to try and make him look younger. I think they could have just went with the way he looks now because the man looks good still. Um, he didn't do a good job on the de-aging. That, no. The budget was not where it needed you know, to be for that. It never looked right. They did that in that De Niro movie and everyone was like all agog over it. It didn't look right then. It didn't look right now. He looks good on his own. Just le- let him do his thing. But throughout the film, she's seeing him in reflections and whatnot. And so there's this final fight with her and Richie and she like sees him in the mirror or I think like the glass pane of a window. And he says something and oh, fuck, I can't remember the exact line. Something along the lines of remember whose daughter you are or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And she goes fucking nuts. And it is perfect because it, it this is not a, you know, survival kill. This is her just completely losing her shit, stabbing the shit out of Richie for like a long period. It's like, it's, it's brutal. It's vicious. It is Billy Loomis's daughter, you know? One of those like cathartic things, like yes. where usually you're just like going to a rage room or whatever. No, no, this was cathartic. And she like, oh, he probably got a good, dozen or so stabs in him Mm -hmm. it was i mean and then it gives you that thing because we know we know they're coming back we know there's going to be another movie this is the the you know the the reset button for uh, a new franchise and we already know this because the next screen movie has already been greenlit 
Um, so now we have that we're going to have this constant question about Sam because she just how stable is she basically yeah, exactly we, we know that her mental state isn't great and she looks in this mirror and we see as she's doing this this image of Billy like smiling at her as she just goes fucking mental and it is fantastic it's great it's just it then brings up all those questions which I'm hoping in subsequent films they don't go around and turn this moment as being why she's a she's like gonna be a killer later and then we get this this great line from her which kind of mirrors again in some other ones like um scream 2 when timothy oliphant's character is just going on and on about how genius billy loomis is sydney looks at him and says well you forget one thing about billy loomis and he's like oh what's that and she goes i fucking killed him and that you know so we get this one from sam which is a great line it's never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer which i I was like i was like ready to cheer in the theater i thought that was great (laughs) and it was they did so well at um a lot of things they did really well and then i believe it was after this when oh good the killers are dead Mm -hmm. oh here comes a flaming amber running through the house because she's not dead yet somehow and i think that was just another gunshot because i remember there was also i forget who it was but Cindy mentioned something about like headshot. And so Sam went and just blew, unloaded a couple shots in the person and then just blew off half their head. Yeah. I don't oh, think and, that was coming um, back. Right before um, Amber catches fire, right? She's babbling, you know, insanely about it's time to pass the torch. So when she does get set on fire, Sydney's like, enjoy that torch. Mm-hmm. But um, it is, this film is a passing of the torch because our future films are going to be about Sam and Tara. And I would like to point out that if Sam were to go and start using her father's name, her name would then be Sam Loomis, which is the name of a character from Psycho and the name of the doctor in Halloween. They did a lot of little Easter eggs in different places. Just they always have done this where they put like little nods to different horror films, like in the original scream, Wes. In the original scream, you got a quick shot of the janitor in the high school, wearing Wes Craven. Yep, wearing an interesting sweater in red and green. Hmm. Yeah. So they just gave little nods to lots of places, which I liked. Where it's like, if you like horror movies, you're probably gonna get it. It's not too obscure, but mm-hmm. it's not hitting you over the head with it. I do like that for you know our first instance of seeing Gail and Sydney together in the first film. Sydney punches her as Tatum says, boom, bitch went down. One of the um, best lines. And then the first time they see each other in this one, they they hug. And it's it's a nice sort of showing the the evolution Dirty. of their relationship through everything that's happened. Yes. Um, so, and that's the end of the film, although we did get a stinger at the end. Um, oh, wait, I almost forgot. So then get everyone's done. And then now it's like end of the night. I think it's morning time almost. Ambulances are there. There's a different reporter outside because Gail is like, I'm not going to publicize this. If I if I'm not going to write a book about this because I'm not going to encourage anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that both Chad and Mindy are alive. Um, yes, but- Mindy kind of disappeared during the big uh, the big uh, uh, finale. I, th- I know she got hurt or something by yeah. someone, but yeah, she pops back up and she's alive. And then so is Chad, which I really didn't expect, but I was glad to see. Chad's alive because the screenwriters really liked him and want him in the next film. Exactly. So now we have um, so we, we have, have a- our cast for the next film, which yeah. I am waiting for. Yep. 
just please let it take at least a year because we don't need them to rush it like Scream 2. Yes, give it some time. And I would absolutely adore seeing Matthew Lillard finally come back as the fucking killer because they wanted to do it. They tried to do it. It never worked out. Give me that in the next one. I won't even be mad. The steamer thing of this one was seeing Ghostface wiping blood off a knife. So, you know, that that's kind of basically our third killer that we wanted from Scream 3 or 2, whichever one you said that was. <laughs> and it would be and nice was, for Matthew Lillard was... to get to complete something because he, as an actor, he's been, he was screwed over by one of his other big franchises. So it'd be nice for him to yeah. get to continue Scream. I, I will go on record and say that was actually bullshit that they screwed him over on the scooby-doo series as far as i'm concerned he should be shaggy until you know he can't anymore for those who don't know he basically from the original scooby-doo films in the 2000s yeah the original live action scooby-doo films until the film scoob he was always the voice of shaggy and then scoob came out he knew nothing about it and they had a different actor though to be fair i have rants about scoob and the plot on that so i'm not totally 100% 100% mad that he's not It was, it was just a shame because he embodied the role so well. He, he's actually a very um, talented and prolific actor because it's like he can do these creepy roles. He can do these sympathetic roles. He was awesome on Good Girls, which was canceled too soon. I love him in 13 Ghosts, in Hackers. You know, it's just, he's, he's like one of those actors that you're going to realize, you know, in 20 years that he was in so much that you love. So yes, I would love to see him come back as a killer and I won't even be mad going in knowing that it's going to happen. Right. So he definitely needs to come back though. One of my jokes I wanted to put in here was just just wait until Scream 2036 where he found the killer is the child of a kid Tim used to visit, used to babysit before Scream 96. Yeah, it, it's They're a stretching. Little, they They really had to stretch and they already did the, you know, secret illegitimate child thing with Sydney's half-brother but I I I think it worked well it gave us our new our new um main characters and it gives us some uneasiness with the character because she already showed us that she can just go off like her father did and I would enjoy any um appearances of Skeet Ulrich in future films if they can lay off the makeup or CGI or whatever they did or just to hear him like by his voice because he's very nice to look at and nice to hear and sort of the creator of the whole, you know, sexy evil thing. I'm hoping, I, I did read that Nev and probably Gail, um, probably, probably Courtney Cox as well, said that they won't be opposed to coming back if the script was right. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of torn on if though they really should like come back. Because, like, I we could, have new I cast. I see, like, like, cameos, you know? I don't want them to be, like, the saviors at the end again. Because mm-hmm. at some point, it's just going to be like, okay, we, we do need to change that bit. And I think this is a good reset point. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the reset button. You know, have, have them do, you know, a quick voice thing or a quick background thing like we've seen. That's great. But, yeah. One thing I did like about this one was... So we've, we've gone on about uh, Sam and her mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, but one good thing is like, usually they'll show the person with the mental illness being the killer at the end. Yeah. And while they kind of did that with her rage at the end, um, like that could also be rage. Like you tried to kill my sister all for a stupid movie plot. Mm-hmm. Like, no. And so, and they showed her as she's like, she takes medication for this, but she mm-hmm. is a normal person. 
like she takes medication, but she still sees the hallucinations. And I feel like in her sort of frenzied killing of Richie, that she's could... sort of like accepting who she is. Right. I know. So I'm curious to see where they go with that. Yes. I remember there was like some other film. I can't remember which one it is right now where the person was seeing hallucinations and they kept like fighting it, fighting it. And at the end, they like let the hallucination, hallucination be part of themselves. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what that was. So it's kind of annoying for me right now. But yeah, I'm interested to see where they go with this because even though it's been hinted at throughout the franchise, they've never had one of our, you know, final girl or hero characters end up being the killer in a future film. So I, I am curious to see where this goes and I'm totally up for another screen film. Oh yeah. As long as it's the problem, the only problem that I have, this set the bar pretty high for another screen film now. It did. I thought, this, you know, when the first, tell me when the first trailer just came out, where you kind of, uh, or before the trailer came out and you heard about, were you like going, oh dear. Honestly, I did from, from the start. I was like, oh God, again, what are they going to do? Please you know, don't what, what more could they do? Right. Um, but they, they proved me wrong with this. I thought this was a solid film. And like I said before, in order of preference for me, it was one, two, four, three. In this case, I would take it to one, two, five, four, three. Yeah. And between two, the, like, depending on the day, five and two might switch places. So this is in my top three screen films. Definitely. I think part of what this hat. I apologize if anyone's hearing any background noise. My neighbors decide I need to hear their car stereo for whatever reason. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but for this one, I think what this one has going for it over two is that you don't have that expectation of it being a direct sequel and the hype of the last one just coming out and being so big. Well, they also, they went back to form. They didn't try to say, oh, we don't want it to be too violent. Oh, we don't want it to be too gory. They went back to basics with it. And and that is what the franchise needed. Yes, they didn't. They tried, we're trying something new. We're trying some new things, but we're not changing super dramatically. Like we're not going like Jason X, Jason in space. We're, no, we're going back to town. We're going back to our some of our main cast that you know, but we're bringing in new ones to kind of freshen things up. You know, we know basic plot points, but we're going to change them up a little bit, but not where it's just like a, a totally other level of like a different type of film. Because mm-hmm. there are levels of horror films. Like, you know, there's the, there's the classics. There's yeah. the so bad it's good. Mm-hmm. There's the, oh, this is totally awesome. There's the, what did I just waste two hours of my life on? Right, exactly. So there's different levels, but this this definitely goes up there. I don't know about classics just yet, but it's definitely up there on it, awesome. It, I wouldn't say that this is a classic, but I would say Scream, the original Scream, is yes. a classic. It has an entry in the franchise. It's very good, um, and it, it's it's a worthy entry in the franchise. Yes, it's if you are choosing movies to watch and you don't care about missing a few plot points from like you're not so you're gonna watch some movies in a series, but you're not gonna watch them all. This is definitely one of the ones you should need to watch for the series. So this is like I would say, if it's still in theaters by you and you've been waffling on going to see it, go see it. I think you will enjoy it, even though we just told you everything. It's worth the experience. It's a good film, and worth the the ticket price. Definitely. It's worth the ticket price. It's worth the experience. 
if you feel safe going, if you are up for going, you know, if it's safe to do so in your area and you're, you don't have further concerns about that, that, I mean, that goes without saying, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, this is definitely one I do want to pick up. I, my spouse has actually never seen four. And so I was trying to find like, Hey, is there like, um, first I tried to think that maybe there'd be a used copy of the used uh, movie store. I I think I have, um, the box set of scream one through three. That's all they have. Cause I looked on Amazon as well. And then I'm like, are they going to put one through five together? Are they going to do one through four? I think there is some, um, Oh, so there's some studio changes, I think. Yeah, exactly. Some hinkiness with the studios, which is why you can get some and not others. But that happens with like every franchise because you can get um, like a bunch of the Jason films, the Friday the 13th films, but not all of them. It's, it's There's a box set now that came out a couple a few years ago with all the Friday the 13th films. It's like 130 bucks. It's been on my wish list. Um, so they, they managed to finally get that taken care of so they could do that. For this one, though, my, my problem with buying it is, like, I can get the first three films for $13 together, but then I'm paying $13 for the fourth film by itself. And I'm like, oh, sometimes that's a decision you have to make. I just don't know how they would go about packaging it. Would this be a part of the old, you know, the, the first classic set? Or would it be just the start of the new set? Because you still have Sydney and Gail and Dewey. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I, w- I will need to on this one, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will need to figure this out at some point, but for now, I'm going to just continue my search to find out where I can get Scream 4 streaming without paying for it. Um, so far, it looks like I'm going to be renting this and, on Google. And, and she does not mean um, internet buccaneering. She means, you know, digital rentals and whatnot. Yeah, yes. I've no, yo-ho. Not yo-ho. No, no. I've been looking on, uh, like, I got a free trial of Fubo TV to watch the Super Bowl commercials. Um, it has the first three Screams on there. Not the fourth. Thought did. Um, so like between HBO Max and Hulu, Hulu and Netflix and the library, my, go to your local library, get a card. Most libraries now have a connection with a streaming service. So you can rent digital ebooks, digital audiobooks, just music and movies and stream them to your TV or your phone or whatever. So that's another place to look that I recommend everyone do because it's free. <laughs> um, but remember most of your streaming services are not bound to your ip address because you're supposed to be able to use them on the go so you could maybe use one at a friend's house sometime or they visit the friend at your house sometime hint hint nudge nudge yes you know it's you know it's family we're all family here (laughs) all right so well this was fun this was lots of fun we must do this again Let's hope yeah, that Hulu really. picks us up for a series like they're doing with Futurama and Animaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Amanda, for joining me this week. Um, it is always a pleasure. Um, and would you like to give a shout out to any project of yours around the interwebs? Um, right now, I can basically be found at thefinalgirl.net. Um, I'm doing a little remodeling, but I'm hopefully to have an update soon. Unfortunately, real life does take precedence and it's uh, a little uh, behind the times, but we're getting there. Right. And you can follow me on Twitter as Latera Tech, L-I-T-E-R-A-T. That's where you I... that? Yes. I totally haven't known you for like a decade plus with that username. I never knew how you pronounced it. It's short for literary detective. It's from a book series. So, you know, just shouting out my nerdiness. But yeah, follow me there where I will bitch about just about everything now and then. Well then, um, and me as always, um, my projects can be found over on watercasterproductions.com. 
Uh, that's W-A-T-E-R, C-A-S-T-E-R, productions.com. Um, and you can find links to my socials as well as my other projects going on and such. Um, and I always welcome comments, episode suggestions, constructive criticism. You know, you can find a way to contact me through there and let me know. Always like to hear something. Um, so then once again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Um, details about this today's episode, including links to Amanda's projects, will be available at the Wirecaster or at wirecasterproductions.com. Um, and then once again, thank you so much. And as always, be excellent to each other. Bye. And never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. Ever. <laughs>